Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. Ahead this morning and and get back to uh, Genesis. We've been out of Genesis for a few weeks now, but I do want to go back there and uh, continue our our study there this morning in Genesis chapter two. So um, Genesis chapter two, and we're going to start reading um, at at verse eighteen. And can I just ask you to stand with me as we read from the Word of God, please? Genesis 2, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let us pray and ask the Lord for his help this morning as we look at his word together. Lord God, we acknowledge, Father, that, Lord, that you have made everything. Lord, that you are the creator. You are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And so, God, as our creator, we ask that you would help us to understand your design, Lord, that what you've established in the beginning in your creation as good, that it would truly be good to our hearts and to our minds. And, Lord, that as we seek to honor you in our lives, to exalt Christ, that you would fill us with joy, Lord. And, uh, God, that you would now convict us of sin that needs to be confessed. Lord, that you would encourage struggling hearts, that you would... Relieve us of our doubts, Father, in these moments together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if I... Uh, should I grab a handheld mic? Or is this... Is it on? I can't... It is on? Okay. Just make it. Okay, so... Um, title of the, sm- the sermon this morning is uh, Womanhood by God's Design. Womanhood by God's design. And just a little bit of a review, as I know it's been a few weeks since we've been in Genesis. Um, We have come through the creation account in Genesis 1, where we have seen God, who is eternal, who was there in the beginning, create all things. He speaks things into existence. And as he creates, there is this, this kind of increase of glory, this increase of beauty as the days progress And it really comes to a climax on day six as God creates the the crown of his creation, man and woman. 
And so we've seen uh, several weeks ago when God created man that he made him in a unique way from the ground. He gave him the covenant of life that he was to keep, not to eat from the tree. He gave Adam a job to work the garden and to keep it and that he was brought into this place of beauty, this place of provision in this garden. And as we come to the verse today, what should strike us is that after we've had each day of creation uh, described for us, there has been the proclamation of God as the creator that it is good. Each day God would create and he would look at it and he would say, that is good. He was pleased with what he had done. And so much that at the end of creation, of the creation account in verse 31 of chapter 2, when everything is finished, God declares it is very good. And you have God emphasizing his pleasure in his creation. And so as chapter 2 comes, it is almost as though the tape is rewound and we're brought back to the sixth day and then the lens is zoomed in on the creation of man and woman specifically and we're given greater detail as to how God made them man and woman. And so verse 18, what should really strike us is this statement, it is not good. This is the first time in the scripture something is declared not good. And this is before sin has entered. And so just to let you know where I want to go this morning in this passage, um, that we will see first the problem that is here, what is not good. We will see the search for the solution to the problem. We will see God bring the solution And then we will see, finally, Adam's response to God's provision. So the first thing we want to see now is the problem. It is not good, God says. And what is he um, unhappy with? What does he see that is not good in creation? He says that it is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that this man be without a companion, be without a mate, be without a counterpart. And so you might ask the question, well, why is this not good? What is it that God looks upon creation with Adam standing and sees as a problem? What is it? Um, You could think of a number of things. We think of the need that God has put within humanity to live in community, to have a companion that we are not designed to live in isolation. We are designed to live in community. And so in this sense, as Adam is an image bearer of the triune God, and remember, God himself does not live in isolation from all eternity past. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit enjoyed perfect communion together. And so as God creates this man to bear his image, it is not good, God says, that he is alone. And of course, a very obvious problem with Adam being alone is he can't do what God has instructed him to do. He was instructed to be fruitful and multiply. This is not going to happen if God does not create a partner for Adam through which to be fruitful and multiply. Humanity would have died with Adam if God did not create the woman, right? Because we are created as sexual creatures, And we procreate as a man and woman come together. This is how God has designed it. And so in this sense, it's obviously also not good that Adam would be alone. I think you could also look a bit at 
that we are, are made as image bearers. And so part of the beauty of God creating man and woman, that God has made man to reflect his image in a unique way that a woman does not. And in the same way, God has made a woman to reflect the image of God in a way that a man cannot. And so you see what happens in marriage as this man made in God's image and this woman made in God's image come together in marriage, you have a clearer picture of God, a clearer expression of his image in the picture of marriage. And so in that sense, we could say that it's also not good that this man be alone. We have a, a limited picture of who this creator God is. And, uh, you know, we, we often can be guilty of thinking of God to be too much like us, right? That he is actually um, limited to manhood in the same way that we are. But God transcends what we think is simply a man or a woman, and this is why we are both created in his image. Because God is so much greater that he is fuller, he is infinite in his attributes. And so we don't want to limit God to being, in this sense, male or female as we know it. And even in the scriptures we see oftentimes there, God uses metaphors, um, both of womanhood and manhood, to describe his care upon Israel. In Isaiah 66, we see God describing his care for Israel, and he says that you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, God tells Israel. As a nursing mother, as a mother nurtures her child, so God says he will comfort Israel. A very feminine metaphor even Jesus would stand over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37 and say, Jerusalem, I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wing and I long to protect you. I long to be your God. And you have Christ using this metaphor of motherhood, right? And so God is infinite. We also see God use very masculine metaphors to describe his care for his people. We see in Exodus 15, God says, the, the author says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Right? And we see this, that the God is, is, is the strength of his people. He is the one who fights for his people. He is the one who provides for his people. These very masculine metaphors to help us understand who God is. And so God is infinite. And as we have man and woman, it is the coming together that really gives us a clearer image of who God is. Now, one quick comment about that. Um, I... I um, ran into a, a guy in British Columbia one time, and he wanted to pray to our father-mother God, right? And now that's a problem, and the reason that's a problem is because God always reveals himself in the Scripture in the masculine sense. So this is why we don't refer to God as our mother, even though he's not limited to masculinity as we think about it, or femininity, but at the same time, God reveals himself masculine, so we pray to our Father in heaven. Christ came as a man, and I think the main reason is because of the created order. So that's kind of an aside, but you will run into that today. People wanting to 
remove any gender from even describing God himself. But so we see this problem that it is not good that man be alone. And those are some possible things we can think of as to why that's a problem. But one quick word too, and we don't have time to turn there this morning, but this does bring up the issue of singleness, right? If God is declaring it not good to be, uh, to be alone, what about singleness? And you have to keep in mind, this is in reference to Adam specifically, who is the first man, who actually cannot fulfill God's commission to procreate apart from a wife. But we do know in, in 1 Corinthians 7 that Paul talks about the, the gift or the calling of singleness and that that actually can be a way to honor the Lord and to exalt Christ and to give your time more effectively to the ministry of the church, to the proclamation of the gospel. So this isn't as much saying that it's wrong to be single, but I think beyond just marriage, um, remembering we are made to be a part of a community. And so even if you're single, I think there is a, a, a reminder here, do not live in isolation. Plug into a church. Plug into a body. Be a part of the people of God. Be a part of the community of God and seek to exalt Christ um, in the context of his local church. And so we see that uh, even Matthew Henry, the old Puritan writer, he would say that perfect solitude would turn a paradise into a desert and a palace into a dungeon. We are not created to live in isolation. And sometimes my wife and I watch this little TV series called Alone, and the whole premise of the show is, and I guess it's real, it's hard to tell sometimes, but they send these uh, guys out into the island of Vancouver and they're given a few items of their choice to survive all by themselves and they have to see who can survive the longest and the winner gets half a million dollars and so you can watch their trek through. And it's interesting, one of the things that brings these contestants to give up, to make the call to come pick them up and, and quit, is the isolation gets to them. It's not so much being hungry as it is they can't stand being alone. And you just see this in creation, that it is not good. And so God says to Adam. So we see the problem, and secondly, we see the search. That God initiates a search for Adam. And what does he do? And it's, it's, it's almost a, a bit humorous, at least as we understand it now. Adam may have not understood, but what does God do? But we see that God basically parades the animals before Adam, the birds and the animals. And in that time, God also gives Adam the task of naming them, of categorizing them. It is as though Adam becomes the first biologist to categorize the animals, to name them, to put them into maybe a species. We're not exactly sure how that looked. But also, it's not just for Adam to name the animals, but God is showing Adam his need and that his need for companionship, his need for a spouse, a mate, is not found in any of the creatures. And so there's almost this sense of anticipation that as God declares it's not good, that he's alone, and then all these animals are going through, and you could almost see Adam as looking, and he's like, well, 
no, not that one. No, no, not that one either. Um, you know, um, horse, no, 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 not that one. And um, he's naming them, but he's also on this search for this companion. And we find in the scriptures that after he has finished naming them, that there was not found a helper for Adam that was suitable, right? There's was, there was no animal found that would serve as his companion that would solve this problem of being alone. This is also the reason why God in the scriptures prohibits homosexuality. It's also why God prohibits bestiality, right? Because it is against the created order. It is unnatural. It is, it is not the solution to the problem. It is not the solution to God's problem of man's loneliness, of this isolation. It, it, another man is not going to fix this. An animal is not going to fix this, right? And we all know the saying that, well, you know, a, a dog is a man's best friend, and I think we've all enjoyed having a pet at various times. But whenever we relate to even an animal, it's always on the level of the animal, you know? It's like the, the ball. You want to catch the ball, and you throw the ball, and you, you do this. There's, there's no real fellowship on a human level, and this is what Adam was needing. And so, there's nothing wrong with having a pet, right? But one of the things that, that I would admittedly say frustrates me when people have a pet and, and they refer to it as their child or their baby or the, you know, no, let's keep the animal kingdom separate from the, that's just a bit of a, a pet peeve, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> but, um, but there is a clear distinction. And you see that as God is declaring this search for a spouse for Adam. There is nothing found in the animal kingdom. And so that is the search. And then thirdly, we'll move on to the solution. God's solution to Adam's problem of being alone. And we have this, this amazing declaration of God. And we find it... Um, God says, it's at the beginning, he makes the declaration before the search is found. If you back up to 18, after God says it's not good to be alone, he then says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Or your translation might say, uh, suitable for him. And so God makes this declaration to solve this problem of man's loneliness. And this is extremely important. This, this kind of purpose statement of God. When you're trying to talk to your daughters about what it means to be a woman, when you're trying to understand what is my role as a wife, when you're trying to understand how do I glorify God as a woman, this is extremely important because you have God declaring what he is going to do and why when he creates Eve. And so I want us to, to meditate on this for a few moments. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the most frustrating things that we can encounter is having something and not knowing what it's for, right? When I was uh, single, I had, a, you know, all the essential items for cooking. I had a, a crock pot, a spatula, a frying pan, a pot for boiling in, and a serving spoon, can opener, and a pizza cutter was about the extent of my kitchen utensils. And you could, you know, get all the essentials. You could open the can of uh, soup, you could heat it in the pot, you could cut the pizza, you know, have all these essential items. And then as I got married, oh, and I can't forget the ice cream scoop because that's another essential item to the <laughs> kitchen utensils. 
But as I got married, my wife started accumulating all of these items that I had no idea what they were and what they did. Things like flour sifters and egg separators. You know, I still wonder, why do we separate eggs, right? It says in, in the Bible, don't separate what God has joined. No, that's <laughs> pulling, <laughs> pulling that badly out of context, so don't quote, me, don't quote me on that. But All of these items, she had a, a garlic press, you know, we could squeeze the garlic and tools for kneading dough. And I'd look at these things like, I have no idea what this is for. And so it's useless to me. But I think um, all the more as we try to understand who we are as men and women and why God has made us, if we don't understand God's intention, we will be left with frustration, with confusion and chaos, which is exactly what we are witnessing by and large in our day. Absolute confusion and chaos about what it means to be a man and woman and if there's any distinction at all. In fact, many would argue there's no distinction and therefore if you need to find a surgeon, just go for it, right? But we see here this beautiful statement of God's as to why he's making Eve and what she is to be about. And so the first thing you want to see here is God used this word that he will make a helper fit for Adam, a helper. And it's the, the Hebrew word ezer. And, and you may know the song, um, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, right? It's that same word, and the word means help. And it's often used of God, right? So this isn't a demeaning word. It's actually a very beautiful and, and God-honoring, um, God-exalting the woman, I would say, kind of word. It's often used of God in the scriptures that God is the helper of his people. He is the Ezer. The he is, and even in Samuel, would, which is where that, I think the song gets it from, 1 Samuel 17, Samuel looks back on his life and he sees how God has faithfully cared for him and, and provided for him and he builds an altar and he says, here I raise my Ebenezer because God has been my help. And this is the word that God uses to describe the woman, to describe why he has made her, that he would be the Ezer of the husband, the help. This isn't the kind of help where, you know, you're going to go maybe work on some fence or something and you bring your son along because you want him to experience it, but knowing that he can't really pound a staple, you know, he's just kind of a, along for the ride. That's not, that's not the image here. It's not the kind of help where he gets a plastic saw and, and, and daddy uses the real saw, you know. Th this isn't the word. It's the kind of word where if this is not there, the man can't complete what he's given to do. It's the kind of help that is essential to his, to his carrying on of the commission that God has given him. And as I said, it's often used of the Lord. We see it in the Psalms that, that the Lord is the help of his people as they face their enemies. He is the help in the wilderness as they are hungry and they need food. Right? And we see that even the Holy Spirit is called our helper, our enabler, the one who will give us the strength to complete what God has commissioned us to do. So what the man lacks the woman is going to accomplish for him. Her, she will be his helper. And the, the, the King James uses the old word help meet. And again, it's this imagery of this essential part of the man and uh, helping him fulfill what God has done. And, and, I, and I really want you to see the beauty of this word 
for you as ladies, for you as young women, that you are given an essential, irreplaceable role in the redemptive plan of God, not only to bring up children in the admonition of the Lord, but even as we think about the church and the ministry that we're given, there is an essential role that is given to the woman that, that as men we will utterly fail on our own apart from you. And that is what God is declaring he would give to Adam, a helper for him. And again, I think that no, it's, it's sad that in our culture, even as Christians, we sometimes, we're okay talking about the need to lead, maybe, and to, to, uh, to, to serve as Christ served the church, but then when it comes to this issue of the woman's role, it's often downplayed, if not completely ignored, because we almost act as though we are embarrassed about it, we're ashamed about it, maybe, because we live in a culture that is very hostile, to God's design, but I want to affirm to you, it is beautiful, it is glorious, it is essential, the way God has established this. And of course, most clearly we see this in the home. Um, this is given in the context of marriage, right? And so it, it has a unique function there. It's not as though the woman um, is going to serve every man and submit to every man as she does her husband. It is a marriage context that we are specifically seeing, but as I said too, um, and again we don't have time, but we've looked at in the past how when we come into the New Testament and, and we have the instructions for how God establishes his church and that he calls the men to lead, it is, also finds expression for the ladies in the church that this unique role of helping, of serving, of enabling the men um, plays out in the church as well. So that's, if you're married or single, this beautiful place of enabling, of helping. So we see that God has made her a helper, but we also see this other word that is in the text, fit for him, is, is how my translation um, translated. It might say suitable for him. And again, we see the contrast here with the animals. There was no animal found suitable. What is this suitable um, that God is talking about. It is one who is also made in the image of God, who is created as not only an image bearer, but given dominion over the creation. Eve stands equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in value as Adam, but she is given a unique role to play. And that's important, and, and you see that in, in chapter 1, verse 27, that male and female are image bearers, right? So there's, there's no grounds to demean women, to, to use them as, as many religions will, but Christ comes and he liberates women. He declares them as beautiful and having value before God. And yet they are to serve in this unique role of enabling the, the man. And so Eve is made fit for Adam. And uh, one commentator writes this, he says, If man is the head, she is the crown, a crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation. The man was dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined, one removed further from the earth. Right? God, we're told, created Adam from the dust, 
and the animals from the dust, Eve is really set apart from all of creation in that she is created from Adam. And this really speaks to her dignity, to her beauty, and I think even to her favor um, as the crown of creation that God would, would choose to create this way. And it is amazing as God puts Adam into a deep sleep, we're told, pulls out, most translations say a rib, it could be flesh from his side, and from that he forms Eve and then presents her to the man. And so when we think about a helper suitable, God does this in the most profound way in actually taking part of Adam and from him creating a wife. And so we see God's solution to the problem in creating this woman as his enabler, as his helper, as a companion suitable to him. And then we see Adam's response in verse 23 as God brings Eve to Adam. And it's almost as though you have the very first wedding ceremony that God the Father, the Creator, brings the bride to the, to the husband, presents her to him, and then you see Adam's response and he, and I know guys, this is going to make us look bad, but Adam breaks out in poetry, right? He breaks out in song, he breaks out in poetry, and this is why you have in your Bible, this is kind of set aside on its own, Adam's response. This is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Adam looks upon his companion, his his Ebenezer, his helper from God, his enabler, his, his soulmate, if you will, and he basically begins to sing with joy. At last, my companion, my helper from God. And it's beautiful to see in these early stages of humanity how God has designed us to fit together, to complement one another. And of course, in the days to come, we'll see how, how sin has corrupted that and how we are seeking, by the grace of God, to restore this picture in marriage. But um, just in closing, a, a few thoughts to help us live this out. How does this look? How does this change the way we relate to our, 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 our children, to the way we speak to our daughters? We're going to have maybe up to a hundred children here over this next week, many of which have no idea as to what it means to be male or female, to be created by a loving God. And they are utterly confused. And we have an opportunity to affirm them that you are a beautiful young lady because God has made you that way. So many children are desperate to hear something as simple and profound as that. And even in our own congregation, we can know that our young people are, are facing an onslaught of temptation to remove themselves from God's design, to give in to these notions of homosexuality, to remove themselves from God's plan for marriage. And we must be pointing them back to his good original design. And as we live this out in the home, that men that we're called to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership and provision in the home. And our children need to see that. 
and for you as women, that you have a divine calling, a unique place to honor and to affirm your husband and his leadership and the role that God has given him. And you use your gifts, your unique abilities, and your strength to enable him to do that which God has called him. And it's as your children see that happening, they will understand what it means to be a man or a woman. And, and we don't do this perfectly. We struggle, right? But we continue to cry out to God to give us strength to press on. And know that you will face opposition. You will face it. You have statements like a, 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 a contemporary feminist named uh, Kate Millett. She says, um, the family must go because it oppresses and enslaves women. That is the modern mindset, by and large. Or another woman, T. Grace um, Atkinson, says that marriage is legalized servitude and family relations are the basis for all human oppression. This is what you're going to come up against. And oftentimes, in the name of freedom, I think women especially are really being cast back into a place of bondage as they are belittled and looked down upon in the beauty and the role that God has given. Alexander Strott wrote that women are again being exploited, but this time it is by false feminist philosophers who demean godly femininity and motherhood and who are anti-child, anti-family, and ultimately anti-woman. In the name of liberty, the culture is trying to redefine womanhood to be something that God never made it to be. And that attempt is actually then anti-woman. And so I, I think my greatest burden for you and for us as a church is just that you would start with seeing God's design as good. Do you believe this is good? That He is good? That His design is right? If you will just Begin to understand that. All of the practical implications in the home and in the church, I think, will naturally begin to work themselves out by the grace of God. But you must first be convinced that God is indeed a good creator and his designs are right. And ultimately, as we think about who we are as men and women, and then we'll close with this, is that ultimately, God established marriage, he established who we are as man and woman, as a picture of the gospel. That Christ would come as a man to redeem a bride. And that as we are created, we are a portrait of the gospel, spanning from the beginning of creation to the end. That as mankind looks upon who it is that God has made woman, who it is that God has made man, and we get an understanding, a context for Christ to come, to lay down his life and to rescue a bride for himself. And you think about the beauty of this picture. This is why we must not forsake God's design. That Jesus, just as Adam, he would lay in the ground and he would there rest and he would rise in victory, conquering death, conquering sin, so that the Father might then begin to prepare a bride for him, that we will one day be presented to Christ as his bride. 
We are now being transformed into the image of Christ as his bride. And you have this recreation image of Christ and his bride. And, and you think about Christ hanging on the cross to purchase his bride, to pay for our sins. A spear comes and stabs him into the side. And again, from the side of a man, God creates a bride. And as the blood and water flow out of Christ's side, we find our forgiveness, our covering, the very foundation by which we can be made new by the grace of God. And so, if you are here this morning and you have never called upon Christ to forgive you, to wash you of your sin, I pray that you would do that today. And for those that are in Christ, may we rejoice. May we rejoice at what God has done. We're not to be first and foremost, protesting against the world, but we're to be rejoicing in what God has made and proclaiming his design. We're not first protesters, but proclaimers. And uh, may we do that even this week ahead. Let's bow together and pray, and we'll be done. Lord God, we come to you, Father, and just, Lord, we acknowledge our need for you, Lord. We acknowledge how quickly we can be led astray and affected by all of the Lord, all of the voices that would try to contradict your word and your design, Father, I ask that by your Spirit you would help us to rejoice in what you've made as we live as men and women, Lord, that we would do so unto your glory to make Christ known, to make the gospel clear to our children, to our neighbors and our community, Father. Would you give us strength to walk in these things? And Father, I pray if there are those that do not know you, that have never looked upon Christ, Lord, that they would believe, repent, they would turn from their sin and find forgiveness in his grace. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.